Welcome. This week on e-commerce trade talk, where we'll be talking about how classic films are adding product placement, how Snapchat is beating out Q1 revenue reports, uh, Pietra launching a creator-to-consumer platform, how the resale industry is super hot, but is it going to continue? And lastly, are we in the middle of a retail apocalypse? So stick around, find out. Kicking it off with our first topic, Sam. I don't know if you are a classical movie buff, but uh, Jaunty Bloom from the BBC, she wrote that fans of classical war flicks will know the scene. You have actor Steve McQueen revving his motorcycle furiously as he's being chased by German soldiers and hoping to use a bike to jump over a barbed wire border fence to safely reach safety in Switzerland, uh, he pauses to gather his thoughts by a barn. And on the side of the building is a big poster advertising a best-selling beer. Now, do you remember this billboard advertising or not? It might have not been there the last time you watched The Great Escape, but it could well be the next. So. As your favorite classical movies or classic movies um, are soon adding these product placements, do you think this will be an effective way of marketing? Uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, but there was a, um, what was it? That movie, Thank You for Smoking, where they were, they were trying to replace, uh, in the movie, it was part of the, this bill that they were trying to pass where they would replace anyone who's smoking in old movies with like candy or them holding candy or something like that. So that's what it reminds me of initially. Um, obviously they can do it. I think the only people that are going to be, the only brands that are going to be pushing this are going to be bigger brands that have the budget to do that. Um, unless like my mind goes straight to like funny, like how could you as a brand do something funny that people would enjoy? I think that's the only way to make it work because you will have people that will just boycott the whole thing. They're like, no, you're not touching my movies. Um, others won't care. And then you'll, you'll have brands discussing it, whether or not it's the right thing to do. Um, it is interesting to think about though. Now, granted what we've been making movies for a hundred years now, I, I don't even know when they started making movies. Um, so there's a lot of film out there. And of course you got, you know, all these streaming platforms, um, net, uh, uh, Netflix, Peacock, HBO, like all these brands that stream a lot of content. Um, it's just a, another revenue piece. Now, as a way of effective marketing, I think it just goes back to the you know, ways of traditional media, where it's like, how do you determine how effective it is? Um, I think it's gonna be more negative than positive unless like i said you do something funny right a funny brand that is in a in a movie that just doesn't make sense and makes it funny or like a meme or something like that you know that would then make it entertaining that's the only way i see this working hmm. and what is because this isn't like a new concept right movies have had product placements in them before or even tv shows where it's it is comical how they make it a point to like put the dr pepper can in the scene and like all the characters are only drinking dr pepper so 
but this is different because they're revamping a movie. They're basically tampering with this movie. So that that's that's the interesting bit, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on top of that, it you you'll have your initial brands that come in, and they're they're doing the product placement in the original, right? The movies being made. Coca Cola is like, hey, we want to show our products and our products only. Okay, you buy the rights to that. Um, is it going to be cheaper for them to only buy like 10 years worth of product placement or, or are they going to have to license the, the lifetime of the film now? Like, I don't know. I just, I find it interesting. Um, I, I imagine it probably will get tested. Um, I just don't see it working in a positive way. Like I think it's going to end up not working in anyone's favor. Yeah. Or it'll be like hit or miss. Like maybe, one thing will go viral, right? That that really caught on, and then everyone else is like, "Why are you even in there?" Well, then, oh yeah, you'll have brands that will want to promote um, just for the sake of the negative press. Right? There are brands that are cool with that, um, but a lot aren't. So yeah, it would be it would definitely be interesting. Yeah, cool. We'll keep an eye out for those remakes. <laughs> All right, moving along to our second uh, highlight of the week: Snapchat they beat out Q1 revenue reports. So CNBC reports that Snap's stock rose in after hours trading on Thursday after the company reported its first quarter results, beating Wall Street's expectations on earnings, revenue, and user growth. With this increase in growth for Snapchat, and now that their user base is more Android users than iPhone, how can e-commerce brands leverage this insight? Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Um, first of all, this like this doesn't surprise me because you know so we use Snapchat. Um, it's been cheaper than Facebook for a while, and now it's starting to become scalable. It started to become scalable basically during the pandemic, right? Um, whereas previously you could only spend a few grand here and there, but now you're you're scaling up to similar spends to what you're doing on on, on other platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Um, the opportunity to touch people because if you look at the behaviors when when people go on snapchat it's a totally different behavior than facebook and instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm. um they're going on there they're treating it like a messaging platform right um but they're they go on there so on average 29 times per day for about three minutes each time so it's it's sort of like this app that's just constantly open on their phone now what the they find with the data is that um, 40 47% of people have Snapchat open when they're buying a product, right? It's either open and then maybe they go to Safari or whatever it is, it's there. Or if they're in a retail store, it might be on Snapchat while they're in line. Some, something to that nature. So your ability to touch people who are in the buying phase is huge. And I think a lot of brands start to catch on to that. Um, and sort of diversify your spend across these different platforms too, to be more omni-channel because being omni-channel uh, generally increases your purchase rates by about 300%. So it's definitely worth doing. So this wasn't surprising to see their revenues increase. Um, I still think that they, you know, as the Snapchat audience gets older, it'll be better for them because it's still like, even now you can target 55 plus people on there, but it's a very small um, Imagine so. so that's yeah the biggest issue that they have is just overall scalability for brands because um uh they don't they have just their their active monthly members are not up to even what linkedin is at 
Right. So just getting more people on there and, and as that audience grows, I mean, what is it? Kids 13 to 24, Snapchat reaches 90% of them. That's insane. So why? That's absolutely insane. And then 13 to 34 is 75% of people it reaches. So so yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they grow that, how they grow their their user base, because that's where, you know, even for us, our scalability lies there. Like we can spend more now than we ever could on the platform, but, um, you know, it, it, will it be become more of a, a, a monster than Facebook and Instagram? I doubt it, but it could get up there. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. And then Snapchat is so different too, just because you really have to rely heavy on creative and the storytelling and you really have to engage people that way. Whereas like on Facebook and Instagram, you can get away with more text posts or pictures, but this, you kind of have to be more creative and, and really know your audience to engage in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and that increases the barrier to entry for a lot of brands. Exactly. So that decreases the level of competition, which decreases the cost. Your CPMs are generally lower. Um, and on top of that, now that they have a bigger Android base than iOS users right. with this iOS update, that's huge because now your targeting is going to be more on on target with Android users versus iOS users, just due to the the, the, the cutting of tracking on those phones. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really big for them. Um, I expect them just to continue. Continue growing. Massive, massive growth. Yeah. Wonderful. Well. So trucking right along to our third topic of the week, Pietra, that's launching a creator to consumer platform. And so, you know, we've all been well aware um, and used to influencers now pushing sponsored products. So Pietra, they're a technology platform that emerged from its beta period last week, and it wants to make the brand creation route accessible for any creators who post on social. So similar to D to C, Pietra is calling it creator to consumer. So instead of direct to consumer, creator to consumer. And so far, over 15,000 creators are launching new product lines. So how do you think this will impact future influencer marketing campaigns? I find it very fascinating. Um, this makes total sense why it's working. Um, I find I find it interesting, you know, creator to consumer, C to C. Um, I like, yeah, it's going to work for some. It's not going to work for all. And the reason being is how they're going about doing it. Um, at the end of the day, when you're buying into products, when you're buying into brands, there's a lot of customer service involved. Are these influencers going to be building out full businesses or is it just going to be like, hey, I got merch. You can get it. I got I got a line of lotion. You can get it. Um, and who's going to manage that? Right. So now you're you got to manage a, an e-commerce company. Now, I know Pietra's basically coming out saying that they'll help them manage it, obviously, for a good chunk of change. Um, so in Pietra's part, I think it's genius. Great idea. Um, for the regular individual, I think it's going to build a lot more distrust with people, with influencers pushing product. Um, and I think that's just from um, not having quality product, mm. right? And and for them, over time, they'll learn that, hey, all these influencers pushing these products, it's all the same product, it just has a different name on it, right? 
because mm-hmm. um, it's all coming from the same spot. So like, what makes it special just because they're pushing it? So then you, you, you tend to distrust the influencer pushing it, right? Because if the product's BS, it represents the influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, some will be carried away with it, but some will probably do it right. right? So you'll have a few that will come out um, on top. Um, I'm curious to know what Petra's set up as far as like licensing and stuff. Because if you're an influencer, you get started with them, it starts working, then you're like, I'm going to take this to the next level. I'm going to go find my own manufacturing and all that. Does Pietro still get a piece of the pie or what? Um, I imagine they have a lot of that covered, so it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that this, I think that it will help breed distrust, right? Because in essence, influencers are becoming marketers. And marketers ruin everything. <laughs> we're part we're part of that group yeah. um and so if if you you look at how influencer marketing campaigns are going now and into the future i think that they'll still be on board to push content um or excuse me to push to push products as long as it doesn't interfere with the products that they're pushing now of course you could line up with an influencer and they could push it and you'd be like you're doing really great I keep you on. They're like, oh, you know what? I think I want to start my own product line up. The same thing that could happen too. Um, so just make sure that your whatever contract you sign with the influencer doing the work, just sort of add that little addendum in there. Um, basically, they can't um, steal anything from you. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that those st- it, it 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 will have a negative effect in the long run. But for now, it's you're still good. And for the long run, I mean like the next five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems like it's an extension of the what is now coined the creator economy. You know, it's like, oh, well, it seems like it's cyclical now. Now, instead of pushing products, it's like we've got our own products. And it's like, well, who's going to push your products? And we're just going <laughs> to keep going around. Yeah. And a lot of them have been doing that um, as they get bigger and they'll start their own product lines. This makes it easier, but you're also taking from the same products for all. Now, granted, that's kind of what it already is, but um, I think I don't I don't think that's good for anybody. Um, just overall quality. Yeah. So so I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I could be totally wrong on this, but I kind of I I don't think it's going to be. It'll be effective for the creators who get on now. In the long run, I think it's going to be looked down upon. Mm. Yeah, there's too much competition. Seems like. One thing that is interesting that I've seen too is instead of a creator coming out and like making their own product line is they'll partner with a larger brand and not necessarily make merch, but have, let's say like their own line of something. So whether it's like this influencer's line of skincare within this big beauty brand or this creator's line of clothing within this big brand. That seems like a more that, that seems like a more like partnership approach rather than I'm just gonna go off and create my own thing. So well, it's, Absolutely. it's going a lot of different ways. Absolutely, and that's what we that's especially what we try to do when we're connecting um, and doing influencer marketing campaigns is um, to build a long lasting relationship with an influencer, right? So it's not just like a one-off or last three months or six months. We want it to last for a very long time. And as those influencers grow um, and get to the, you know, the higher levels, um, you're more celebrity type influencers, that totally makes sense. Um, especially if their audience jives well with your products. Um, I was watching this guy yesterday on TikTok and he, he's a, he has a 
he's like a haberdashery. He's hats, he's hats, right? <laughs> um, and he made one for Jamie Fox, and Jamie Fox loved it and hung out with him and his kids for the day. And then they were talking about creating a Jamie Fox line of hats, right? Like prime example. It's it works, and and it's been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to use that, and then of course the the creators get paid off of that too. Yep, win win. Cool. All right. So leaving influencer talk and, and moving on to the resale industry and how that's really super hot right now. Uh, the Morning Brew reported that uh, discounted or resold furniture has had recent success for the simple reason that people are moving around a lot because of the pandemic. And Social Network uh, Nextdoor said that furniture sales on their site were up 28% since last August. The reseller Apartment Deco uh, said that furniture listings nearly tripled from May to October 2020, and, and that's according to Vox. And so how do you feel we'll continue to see uh, consistent sales in the resale industry? Like, do you think that's going to continue? Yeah, it'll continue. Um, I think the, the, the apps or the brands that are like controlling the marketplace now will probably control um it, I, th I think what's happened is you know during the pandemic so many people were just bored out of their minds or like just so caught up in because when we're working from home you're you're overworking everyone's doing more work just naturally right um because normally when you would work at an office you could leave your work there you go home it's a totally different place but now your work is your home um so finding things to do as sort of hobbies uh finding new hobbies I think we're huge over the past year. And so um, like you like you saw a lot of reselling, you saw a lot of people like getting furniture and fixing it up and flipping it um, to resell. Um, a lot of arbitrage just across the board. And um, a lot of these old um, nostalgic sort of things like uh, trading cards um, came roaring back and have just like, increase the price of everything now granted everything's sort of more expensive now than it ever was um just through the nature of the supply chain being busted um so i i foresee it to continue on and and be popular um i don't see it being as popular as it was this past year but it will continue on you have a lot of folks who who live for that and who love that right um they like to buy things that um, had a, had a purpose with somebody else, uh, whether they're antiques or even just older stuff that someone's refurbished, um, it feels good. So having to buy something new, mm -hmm. um, and you have a lot of people who just love arbitrage naturally, um, whether they know that's what they're doing or not, that's <laughs> what they're doing. You know, if you, if you go and find, you can go find free furniture all over, um, Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, wherever, go pick it up, sand it down flip it for a hundred bucks. Like there's a lot of folks doing that. So yeah. I, I think, I think it'll continue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another uh, perspective on that is also just this push for sustainability and people wanting to recycle and not buy new things. And so there's a little bit of that at play that I think I saw grow over the pandemic as well. So. 100%. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm totally behind that personally. I actually like just picked up this big cabinet thing from 
uh, Facebook marketplace. And it's exactly what you said. Like, I didn't even know there was like a name for it or that that's what I'm doing, but it's just like, I have free time, you know, it's free. I can, I have a truck for it. Why not? And yeah, it's plus it's, I mean, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Plus it's something else to do. I built a lot of stuff in my life. Um, and it feels good to switch, especially when you're on all day, every day, like we are right now. <laughs> um, do something with your hands. It's like, yeah, just doing something different, like working, like working hard and working out feels good. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. So to wrap up this week's conversation, leaving it with kind of a hot topic, I think is, are we in the middle of a retail apocalypse? And so this comes from Avery Hartman um, at Business Insider. They reported that roughly 80,000 stores are doomed to close in the next five years as the retail apocalypse continues to rip through America. So in addition to the pandemic, uh, population dispersion has had a large effect on retail stores, including uh, mostly malls. And so do you think that retail is going to make a comeback as we start getting back to normal or not so much? Um, Quick answer for savvy brands. Yes. But in general, no. Kind of sad, actually. Um, I blame it all on Amazon, though. But um, mm-hmm. a lot has happened over the past year. Obviously, like we were all here for it. Um, not only the pandemic, but um, what's going on in all these cities and stuff. And obviously, we're not here to get into politics at all. Um, so we'll leave it to someone else. But a lot has happened to really make this. Um, Yeah, I don't even know the word for it. But when you look at all the malls, I think that the space will continue to get utilized. With population dispersion, the biggest issue is everyone's spreading out. Um, so places that were gathering grounds before, like malls, right? So it's, it's the easiest one to go to. It's a reference for this, right? Because you have mom and pops all over. But um, as far as like malls, where it's like a, a, a lot of retail stores in one location. Um, I know some brands are trying to use them as e-commerce sort of stations, right? Warehousing and stuff, but also like pick up, buy online, pick up and store. Um, I think when you look at the true meaning of omni-channel, which is all channels, including brick and mortar, Mm. um, those brands that can do that will succeed. And those, that's what I mean by those savvy brands. The savvy brands that can have a retail store in a location can be a small footprint, um, maybe even partially warehousing so that they can get products to people faster. Um, and sort of you know, like what Amazon does and what everyone else has been trying to do for to, to, to mimic what Amazon's been doing for the quickness and speed, right? Because speed is the best customer service there is, right? Really? Um, so you have a lot of... Um, well, you'll have these savvy brands that'll come in and take over the spots and and more than likely the malls and the, and the, the property managers and how they manage it are going to have to um, be more uh, uh, negotiate a little bit better in their deals because they're not going to come in and just rent for X amount of dollars. Right. So um, and I remember I remember hearing someone talking about this, what they potentially what they could do is charge based off of revenues. Right. Get a piece of the pie. 
mm. which I think would be intelligent. And it would, it would make that barrier to entry a lot lower for brands to come in. And those that succeed, you, you do make good money off of, and those that don't, get the boot, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, e- e-commerce in general has been growing over the past year. I know a lot of people want to get back out and, and buy from um, their local shops, and I know they're trying to do that, but in the long run... Yeah, I, I see, I foresee this happening. And so, yeah, you could say it's the big retail apocalypse, but you will have, you will have savvy brands that come out of this that do really well. And you'll have ones that just pop up out of nowhere that um, we'll talk about in a year or two. Like, oh, man, can you imagine what they're doing? See what they're doing right now? It's crazy. So, yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, this is just the way things are. And unfortunately, this is what's happening. Yeah, no, definitely. And speaking of those savvy brands, I think even before 2020, there were some uh, brands that were already utilize, utilizing kind of these dead spaces or not having an all out brick and mortar store and just having like a showroom, whether it be Casper, where you could come and see a mattress, you couldn't buy it right then and there, you would still have to do the process online. But at least there's a physical, physical space for you to walk into. Same with like MM LaFleur, another clothing company. And so yeah, brands like that, who even before all this happened, were already like envisioning kind of like a world where we could do that and where most people would want to shop online anyway, but just have that little reference point in person. I think they're more than well equipped to handle what's going on right now. Yeah. And it's um, warehousing, especially because that's what Amazon's using a lot of these malls for. They're going there. They ran out of retail stores, so they're saying, you know, we'll pay you 25 cents on the dollar and you got to take it. Um, yeah, maybe that's the business we should be getting in, right? We're <laughs> doing um, some some mall space brokerage, just uh, like sort of like ghost kitchens, right? You have the ghost kitchens where it's like someone, another uh, uh, restaurant can use the same kitchen. Mm-hmm. Just do that. Ghost warehouses. Yeah. I would not be surprised if that starts to become like a thing. We see where commercial, you know, retail spaces are just those ghost warehouses. And then, whew, what if and then, then it would just be like an old retail store where they have a bunch of products, right? Like any store. You walk into Walgreens, you walk into Kroger, you walk into Subway, it's like a bunch of different products. So it's the same thing, right? Um, just, a, just its own little marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Catch us next week. We'll go over the top news highlights uh, in all things e-commerce. Awesome.